Welcome to Mind Love, episode 252. Today's episode is all about drinking yourself to your own personal hell. For me, just being open and honest and transparent and having the conversations to demystify alcohol and also portray it as it, what it really is, which is not a good character in anybody's story. You know, there's nobody that has looked back on their life and thought, oh, wow, that bender in New Orleans. What a moment, you know, that's my highlight. Turn up your frequency with Mind Love. Bite-sized brain hacks for seekers, dreamers, and doers. It's time to give your mind a little love with your host, Melissa Monti. If this is your first time giving your mind a little love, don't forget to hit the subscribe button. Mind love is a habit, and the more you give your mind that love and intention, the better you'll feel about yourself and your life. Plus, it's really a win-win because more subscribers means Mind Love attracts even more amazing guests to bring you their wisdom. So don't forget to subscribe. Today, I'm excited to share a review from CaliGirl123 who says, Just incredible. She's amazing. She has lifted my spirits and makes my daily struggle not a struggle. She gives me hope and always makes me feel empowered and ready to take on my day. Thank you so much. I'm sending you so much love. I think we all feel that way sometimes. And sometimes just a little message of hope makes those struggles seem not so bad, or at least gives us a new perspective. So thank you so much for taking the time to write this. Do you ever question your relationship with alcohol? Do you ever wonder if it's really worth it or why you're even doing it? I did for years and years. But if you would have told me 10 years ago that I'd give up drinking in my 30s, I would have told you that you were crazy. I remember actually thinking that I felt sorry for people who got older and stopped partying. (laughs) That would never happen to me, I told myself. I'd be the fun mom that you see on TV with a large glass of wine while the kids played outside. If I even had kids, because who has time for that when there's so much fun to be had? What an aspiration, right? (laughs) Oh, Clementine. She's my fucked up alter ego who ran the show for way too long. May she rest in peace. I finally came to my senses and broke up with alcohol a little over a year ago. And it has been one of the best decisions of my life. Right up there with actually keeping down my food instead of binging and purging or getting off Adderall or cutting out toxic people. Clementine would be pissed if she were listening to this. It's like all her favorite pastimes are gone. There was just something about alcohol that had this extra special hold over me. And that hold looked different over time. Maybe it's because it was so socially acceptable. In my 20s, the problems were obvious. Which is so ironic because that is when I was the most blind to them. There was the time I was sexually assaulted while blacked out or even fully unconscious on two occasions that I know of, and only one of those do I somehow internalize as an actual sexual assault. For some reason, the longer I lived that lifestyle, the more acceptable waking up naked with a stranger seemed. Like, could I really be sure that I didn't agree before I passed out? I think I remember choosing sleep. Or the time I fell and needed stitches and woke up in the hospital. Or the other time I woke up in the hospital, which I still swear that I was drugged because I only remember my first drink given to me by a stranger. And of course I said yes because free booze. 
And then here I am in the drunk tank hall of the hospital with an IV in my arm. Or the stupid arguments I got in with people I was dating. Or the people who decided not to date me due to witnessing my drinking habits. Or the food I binged when I was too drunk to care. Or the fingernails I bit or peeled down until they were bleeding because my addictive tendencies would fire up when my impulse control went down. Or the criminal I accidentally dated because he supplied my addictions. I could, quite sadly, go on for hours. But in my 30s, I had made so much progress compared to the decade before. I was actively moderating, again, comparatively. I didn't get drunk anymore. I didn't party. I didn't really make bad decisions or suffer any injuries anymore. That's a plus. But the thing is, alcohol still affected me negatively. It still took up too much brain space. For me, moderating in general took up too much brain space. Of course I wanted a third glass of wine. When I was healing my bulimia and my relationship with food, I knew that I couldn't keep trigger foods around the house because it was a slippery slope. So why would I think that it would be easy to just have a little wine and expect that my old neural pathways wouldn't take over? So yeah, I did make a lot of positive progress over the years, but it still put a cloud over my life. I still related wine to being the center of fun, supposedly. It still numbed areas of my life. And I know some people have a totally different relationship with alcohol, and I'm not speaking for them. This was just my journey. But if my whole goal in this lifetime is to be as aware and at peace as possible, then this choice really made no sense anymore. And I started to wonder, who would I be without alcohol? Would I be happier? Would I actually finish some of the things on my someday list? Would I engage with the world around me more? Would I explore fun hobbies? Be focused on the moment instead of the drink? And so if you find yourself questioning your relationship with alcohol, or even just wondering what life or you would be like without it, this episode is for you. And what I love about this one is that it's more of a deep and honest conversation than just an interview. We're talking to Jason Carter. He is a husband, father, and entrepreneur who struggled for decades with depression and heavy drinking before beginning the journey to recovery. And in his new memoir, To Hell I Ride, When a Life Examined Became Worth Living, he takes an unflinching look into the darkest corners of his past and how he found clarity and ultimately redemption. So three key things we will discuss are the slippery slope from alcohol to chronic depression, how to recognize the right time for change, and how to support your own recovery with fun and humor, even in the midst of a mental health crisis. And if this is your first time giving your mind a little love, I have a few goodies for you. First, don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And second, sign up for the Morning Mind Love. Think of it like a weekday oracle from your highest self to help you start each day with a positive focus. Plus, you'll get two gifts absolutely free, a 30-minute binaural meditation and 30 days of journaling prompts to help you remember who you truly are. So join over 9,000 people and go to mindlove.com to sign up or text the word MORNING to 33777. And now let's welcome Jason Carter to the show. Uh, thank you for having me. I, I'm really honored. I've been listening to episodes of the show and, and really get a lot out of it. And, you know, to be a guest is uh, really a, a privilege and an honor. And I hope to uh, serve you and your 
your listeners with something of value today? Well, give us a little synopsis of your story so I can slowly peel away the layers until you don't want to talk about it anymore. (laughs) Well, I wrote a book recently. It came out about six months ago, and it's a memoir of sorts. And the long and the short of it is I was, at the time, 44 and really contemplating things like suicide, you know, kind of like a daily fantasy, you know, not that... I was never really serious about doing it, but I mean, I'm sure that's what we all say. But I I just had come to this point where life became too exhausting. And I I booked an emergency appointment with a psychiatrist and we were kind of going over it. And and I started telling her how much I drank on a daily basis. And, you know, she turned ghost white and kind of identified that as the problem. And I, I had always known that. But I had concealed it very well. Well, I I guess not very well. Most people knew that I was a very heavy drinker, but I think I was concealing the pain that it was causing me. And I went up to Telluride, Colorado on on a ski trip with my family. And this was about a week after I was told, you know, you really got to stop drinking, something I'd always known. And I was very scared and but realistic and and kind of thinking, you know, maybe if I just cut back a little. And I was actually walking to a wine bar after a day of skiing by myself to get a glass of wine. And I just started feeling this really big knot in my chest. And I just kept walking past the the wine bar and just kind of got literally lost. I don't know if you've been to Telluride, but it's, it's tucked in between two mountains. And, you know, it's a you go to one side of the town and it's the end and you kind of turn around. And I, I really don't remember doing that. And I kind of snapped out of it and I was hearing this voice and it was just a very soothing, comforting voice. It, it seemed familiar and it just kept repeating the words, you don't have to do this anymore. You don't have to do this anymore. And as I was thinking about these words against what I was wanting to do and knowing the path that would take me down, I really just kind of started, you know, crying. Um, And I I sat down. There was, you know, there happened to be a bench right where I was. And I'm sitting there and I just have this weight lifted off my shoulders. And I'd never felt so alive and, and light. And I knew right then and there that I just would never have a drink again. And I just was speechless and kind of crying and finally got up and and walked away And then I kind of turned around just to look at the bench and I wanted to get a snapshot of this place. And I don't know what the zoning laws are in Telluride, but in the the middle of this neighborhood, one of the houses had been converted into a first Presbyterian church of Telluride. And and that was just kind of the, you know, punch in the face, uh, so to speak, where I knew without a doubt in my heart that that God was talking to me and just basically saying, I'm going to take this away from you you don't have to do this anymore. And it was said in such a way that made so much sense. And, um, you know, that was almost seven years ago. And under any circumstance, whether it's traveling alone on business or uh, a weekend with the boys, I can't imagine myself ever having another drink again. And after about a year, I decided I I really had a hard time telling a story. I, I and I wasn't telling it because I, I don't see myself as somebody that's gonna go around and go, you know, listen to my miracle. Um so I, I wrote a book about it. And you know, the book kind of covers 
my life in a, in a kind of ghost of Christmas past because I was trying to understand how did alcohol become the, the king of me, you know, because, you know, by most measures, I'm a pretty good dude. You know, I, uh, you know, as an athlete, uh, pretty good grades, went to college, married, job, you know, the real normal kind of life. But, but alcohol became such, it became the main character who I was serving. And, and it just got to the point where that was exhausting me to the point where I wanted to end my life. And then a ski trip to Telluride changed it all. And so I, I just, that's what the book's about. It, it, it leads up to that moment. And my hope was, I, I know I'm not that unique. So I know there's a lot of people out there similar to me that might be struggling with alcohol. And, you know, they're, maybe they're too hard on themselves. And I just went back and looked at the game tape of my life to understand it not flog myself, you know, and why did I do that? But really to understand it. And it's, to me, it's like a blueprint. If anybody wants to do a deep dive of self-evaluation, it's, it's a template of sorts. And then, you know, maybe they can come to their own conclusions. You know, they're, they're, that's not the specific ask of any reader. It's really written to be enjoyed as a story. And that's what the book is about. And, you know, that's why uh, I'm lucky to be on shows like this and talk about it. So how much were you drinking at your peak? We're all here just trying to live our best lives, right? And while you're here listening to a podcast, you might feel like you're on the right track, but then you visit family or you have a work deadline or something unexpected comes up and you're all stressed out and it feels like all the work is out the window. That's why it's so important to consciously curate what you can control, like who you surround yourself with, what you watch, what you listen to. So I'm going to add another podcast to your toolbox, The Dr. John Deloney Show. He has a PhD in counseling and has been sitting with hurting people for 20 years. He shares practical advice for everything from how to connect with people, how to face depression, overcome anxiety, and learn just what it means to be well. But what's really cool about his show is you can even leave a voicemail or send an email and he'll address your topic or question about mental or emotional help on the show. So no matter what you're going through, the Dr. John Deloney show is here for you. Listen to the Dr. John Deloney show wherever you get your podcasts or follow the link on the website. So how much were you drinking at your peak? Uh, that's a great question. It varied. You know, I had a full-time job, so there was definitely a flow to the week. Um, I was never, you know, I'm sure, you know, how can you believe an alcoholic? But I, I wasn't drinking like at lunch and before work, but my week would, you know, I'd go to work and do this and that. And then by, you know, Monday or Tuesday, it was a couple glasses of wine with dinner. And Wednesday, it was a cocktail at the bar. And then three glasses of wine with dinner, you know, by Thursday, three cocktails, two bottles of wine, you know, it just kept building and building and building until, you know, Saturday was just a disaster. And, you know, Sunday was all about just, oh my God, I, I hate my life. And, you know, you're just trying to get over that. And then by Monday afternoon, you're kind of looking out and going, oh, everything seems to be okay. So I'll just rinse and repeat. It was, you know, the, the amounts matter, uh, but it was, there was such a tolerance that I had. Um, so it, it was quite a bit, you know, it was, I was drinking for a specific reason and it was to get, you know, to a certain point where I did not feel any 
pain. And, and most importantly, that my inner voice is just a very uh, particularly cruel person, <laughs> uh, kind of like thinking in a good way. It's, it reminds me of like the great Santini, if he was like Dennis Miller, just always second guessing me. And I was just trying to mute that out so I could go on with my life. And of course, once that voice was muted out, I was usually uh, incapacitated and unable to really do um, anything, you know, much less, you know, things that are going to be positive and change my life. Yeah, I feel you. I went through really big binge drinking phases. And then eventually I was trying to moderate and I would in comparison. And I think that's what held me was I drank at the end of my drinking, I was drinking so much less than I was before, but it was still like two to three glasses a night and it was still affecting my mental health. And it started to feel like this cycle where I would be waiting for wine o'clock, you know, <laughs> and then I would like, oh, yeah. and, and then you'd think like, oh, I'll have a glass of wine while I do yoga or I'll stretch or make dinner. But then it ends up being just like wanting to sit and drink the glass of wine and maybe watching too much TV. And it was just like, the whole last half of my day, the last few hours of my day were just a waste. And I remember feeling hopeless. Like, this is just a cycle that is going to keep going for my whole life. <laughs> yeah, we called it um, the the whiskey horizon. And, you know, it would, like, for instance, if it's, you know, three o'clock on a Wednesday and you're in a meeting and you're just, you know, still a little hungover from the night before and you're just as tired as you ever can imagine and you want this thing to wrap up and then you're oh wait it's almost five o'clock and you you just get this giddy excitement you know knowing that that carrot is uh waiting for you and you can plow through your day and you know that's i don't think that's good in any language or country you know if that is your reward um especially uh you know I know there's, I know a lot of people that are very responsible drinkers can, and they can have that champagne. And I, I just, you know, my cellular structure uh, just wasn't wired that way. Um, I, I'm just kind of a more of an extremist and, and a lot of things and um, certainly uh, in drinking and, and the moderation thing, you know, I, oh, I, I tried that maybe a hundred times and it never worked, you know, because that's not what I wanted. I, I didn't want um, you know, the, the buzz of two beers, you know, I wanted to drink nine beers and then maybe get a shot of tequila. Um, and then who knows, maybe a glass of wine, because there was a very specific reason why I was drinking the way I did. So you said in your book that as you were driving from Texas to Telluride, you were searching for clarity, but in that mindset of still being in that vicious cycle of drinking, what were you hoping to get with the clarity? Was it just the open road and lots of time to think? What, like, what were you wishing for? Yeah, so great question. And I I had no idea. So that was six days after I met with a psychiatrist. And so I, I hadn't had a drink in, in six whopping days. What a hero. And I was just in a, you know, I knew she was right. You know, I certainly my friends and my wife and various other people over the years were telling me, uh, you probably should stop or, or shaming me into thinking I should. But she was the first one that, I guess, a, a real medical doctor um, looked at me eye to eye and just kind of like I was an idiot, you know, like, you really need to stop drinking. And 
So I, I just kept chewing on that. And, you know, when you're on the road, especially in today's world with technology everywhere, every spare minute is filled with a scroll or, you know, a text that you don't need to send or read. And it was just a, uh, a kind of a, a good moment for me to really spin. And, and, and I guess looking back on it now, I think that I was just, I didn't know what I was looking for. And I just kept grinding over the events of my life to the point where I was exhausted from thinking and, and, and finally maybe just open to whatever the universe was going to suggest to me. And, you know, years after the fact, I've read books uh, about monks and, and whatnot and how, you know, even those guys have a hard time slowing the mind down enough to really hit enlightenment. And they're living in a cave and listening to bells all day. And so I think that that was as close as I'll ever get to just having my mind just say, look, stop thinking, just you're done and, and, and go on a walk. And, and that's where, lo and behold, I finally heard, you know, the answer and, and probably uh, that one that's been being yelled at me ever since I was like in eighth grade, you know, but um, I was just finally ready to listen. I feel like those of us who have the tendency to reach for something or to numb, we have the hardest time listening to that voice because we don't leave space for it. We're always filling the void with something. And I will say that I mentioned that I got to a point where I was moderating. Like I was moderating by a lot of people's standards. What I couldn't moderate or what I was having a harder time moderating was having like one night a week where I would drink. I I could do that, but it wasn't fun for me. It was like I was just waiting for that one night (laughs) versus, but then I could have one glass of wine. I would prefer at least two, but still two glasses of wine. If you would have told me that in my twenties, I would have been like, no big deal. She doesn't have a problem. But what I learned is I thought that if I got there to the one or two glasses of wine a day and taking a few nights off here and there, that that would feel like a healthy moderation. What I didn't expect was that even just that amount, even just one night or one glass per night, I had this like dark cloud over everything. It was like I was less excited about life and I didn't even, I wasn't able to see that until I gave it up for at least a couple of weeks. And then all of a sudden I'm like, oh my God, I don't feel like I'm like chained to this thing anymore, if that makes sense. No, I, I, I totally get that. And I believe there's a lot of good things about booze. And I don't go around, you know, everybody should stop. But I think that certain people get to a point where they know it's not good for them. Even, you know, even the one or two glasses, because that's all you're thinking about most of the day. And so I think this is a, a more of a Wayne Dyer thing. And I'm, I'm paraphrasing totally, but it's, you know, the, the, when the mind and your actions are not congruent, it just, you know, like, I know drinking's bad. I believe it's bad for me. But here I am drinking. Even if it's one glass of wine, then you're eroding the ability to even trust yourself because you're, you're doing something that you've already admitted to yourself is not good for you or your future or your goals or whatever you're trying to manifest. And, and I think it just chips away. So it doesn't, Certainly, I don't think it really matters if it's, you know, two glasses or two bottles. If it's getting in your way, it's, if it's taking all of your attention, then it's, it's probably not good for you. Yeah, and one of the ways that I move through 
my addictions, because I've had a lot of them in my life, is I have to like overwhelm myself with the negative information about it. So when I was first making the conscious choice, I didn't have like this enlightened moment where I never craved it again. I was like, I need to do this work. I need a bootstrap. And I started reading all the quit lit books, as they call them, <laughs> like all the right. literature on quitting. And one of them was probably the most boring of them because it wasn't written in novel story like <laughs> form, but it was by Dr. David Nutt. And he goes into all of the things about alcohol. It's just called drink with a question mark on it. And mm-hmm. ironically, this dude owns a wine bar, but he only drinks like a couple of times a year because he knows the information. And even drinking one glass a week increases your risk of like, nine different cancers. It's insane. Yeah. Um, and so I am at the point where my personal belief is it's not good for anybody. And yeah, they can have a relationship that's much different than mine, but it's not good for them. And I don't think that there's, I think that people think there's amazing things about booze, but I think in any case where something is a crutch, it needs to be a very temporary thing. Because I have a friend who always talks about how, you know, alcohol is just great. Like it's, uh, it just, there's something about the social aspect and I see where she's coming from. I've had a lot of good times on alcohol, but it's ironic to me that this same person, it's been a couple years that we've been talking about this because it was a couple years that I was talking about giving up drinking. <laughs> and mm-hmm. she's like, you know, I'm on the cusp of my relationship with alcohol, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, see, that's the thing. I find that the people, the people who have the healthiest, I'm doing air quote, relationship with alcohol, don't make excuses for it or really proclaim the benefits. It just is. <laughs> and the people that uh, recognize the downfalls, you can kind of see they'll eventually at least try to give it up. And then there's the people that are like, no, but, and they're saying all the good things. And I'm like, those people I now believe will eventually get to the spot where they want to give it up. Because otherwise, why would they be having all of this? Like, I don't, like, I don't do that with like, strawberries, you know, like, (laughs) you know, I'm really, you've really touched on something. I, I, I get that a lot. And, you know, I, I refer to alcohol as King alcohol and in a term of endearment because, you know, we were raised, you seem like you're Gen X, like there's nothing wrong. I mean, with, I mean, I was crack. That's bad. You know, that's the thing you, you can't do, but I mean, booze was like everywhere. It, it was portrayed in movies. I mean, I, honestly, when I was in second grade living in Southern California and we had cable and it was called like on, and it was like a box the size of a, a Buick on top of your television and Animal House came on and that changed my life. You know, I, I was literally just like, I'm going to join a fraternity. I don't care what I study in college, but that looks like, you know, and so from that moment forward, I, I just thought, you know, drinking and all that, that's just a part of life. It's, it's a reward. It's what successful men do. And any time now, I mean, I, I, don't, I don't get in arguments or debates. I don't, I'm not interested in that. But it's very interesting talking to my kids because I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm, I've got an eye on it. And um, I've talked to them openly. And, and one of the things I, I came to conclude with one of my sons, we were down at the coast, the Texas coast, not the California coast. There's a big difference. And um, the whole weekend, he and his buddies were, you could just tell they were like scheming, like, how are we going to get someone to buy us beer? Where are we going to hide the beer? When are we going to drink the beer? And on the way home, I, I just said, you know, like, 
there's, there's really no reason to grow up fast. Trust me, being a kid is great. And when you find yourself planning every aspect of your day around alcohol, I, you know, it's, it's something to just, I want you to just recognize when that happens. I'm not saying it's a problem or not. I mean, you know, I was in high school. That's all we ever did was like, how are we going to get a keg? <laughs> and what field can we drink it in? And so I, I think that for me, just being open and honest and transparent and having the conversations to demystify alcohol and also portray it as it, what it really is, which is not a good character in anybody's story. You know, there's nobody that has looked back on their life and thought, oh, wow, that bender in New Orleans, what a moment, you know, that's my highlight. And, you know, they're, they're like stained with hurricanes and, and whatnot. And what's interesting, you know, you know, you write the book and I guess in today's day and age, that means you have to be an influencer and start saying pithy things on Instagram. And, and I just, I don't feel very comfortable because I, I don't want to, I, I, I can't tell anybody else how to live their life. And, um, but I think what I've come to the point is like, if you just kind of turn the focus in on the ones that you know and really love and care about and have meaningful conversations, not only about alcohol, but everything, uh, that's where, for me, that's where I've, gained the most, at least in my personal life. Uh, you know, I, I haven't given a TED talk or anything. And um, sometimes I, I think about that, but I, I just want people in my book, you know, I, you mentioned Quitlit. I read a lot of stuff and before I wrote my own book and where I was trying to separate it from that was, you know, I'm not going to look back on my life in with shame, uh, but more curiosity. And also I'm not going to flog myself because what's the point? I mean, it happened and I, I didn't do anything, you know, truly awful. And I think that if people can just start going back and looking at some of the other moments in our life where alcohol has brought, you know, shame or pain and, and not just keep brushing it under the rug, um, they might be able to make some sense out of it and, and move forward um, if they're even concerned about that. And now for another episode of Lies We've Been Told About Our Health. We've all heard we need eight glasses of water a day, right? Well, hydration isn't actually about water intake. It's about the balance of water and electrolytes so that our bodies are actually absorbing the water instead of just passing it through. A lot of people go for those sugary sports drinks, but let's be real, those do more harm than good. I've found a better solution. Element. It's a zero-sugar electrolyte drink that's all about effective hydration. Each pack gives you essential electrolytes like sodium and potassium without the unnecessary additives found in other drinks. The team behind Element includes experts in biochemistry and nutrition, so they really know what they're doing. And it's not just for everyday use either. Elite athletes and teams, Olympic weightlifters, CrossFit champions, Navy SEALs, all rely on it too, which to me says a lot about its effectiveness. Here's what makes them really unique. They recently launched a hot chocolate line with flavors like chocolate mint, chocolate chai, and chocolate raspberry. Ever since I went alcohol-free, I've been really intentional about luxurious, health-focused drinks so I can sit back and unwind while actually doing good for my body. And the Element Chocolate Chai is great for relaxing in the evening or warming up after winter sports. And you can try Element totally risk-free. If you don't like it, you'll get your money back, no questions asked. Receive a free Element sample pack with any order when you purchase through drinkelement.com mindlove. 
That's drinklmnt.com slash mindlove to get a free starter pack with any order. That is such a key part is actually being honest about it. Because what's interesting to me is when I started that, I did a whole practice, like journaled, like, let me see where alcohol really did me wrong. And as I said, I had really decreased my intake by the end, like the last couple of years, to where I was a healthier drinker than a lot of people that I knew. But I just, my personal goals in life are it's self-awareness. How can I be as self-aware as I can be when I'm numbing parts of my day and and reaching for this thing? And, and I didn't even know why I was doing it anymore. I had done so much work on myself. Like this wasn't my beginning of self-development. It was like the tail end. Yeah. I mean, well, I guess I'm still in the middle. Oh, and by the way, thank you for calling me a Gen Xer. I'm an elder millennial. I'm almost oh. 40. <laughs> so I'll just take that as a compliment and move on. But uh, <laughs> we, uh, I, when I started journaling the things, all the things were actually most of the things. There were still things like, I want to be present for my son. I don't want him to see this every single day and it be so normalized that that's just what he is his default patterning. But the real bad things were like my 20s and even a couple of years, like maybe the first year of my 30s, horrible things happened. I mean, that's when I was sexually assaulted, was drinking. Uh, I've blacked out places. I woke up in a bush. I've lost things that were a thousand dollars before I've like injured myself, like all of these things that are like, if you were checking the boxes of, are you an alcoholic? And somehow in that stage of my life, I was like, nah, just going to moderate. I think I can do this. (laughs) And then in my moderation of being like, okay, I can do this, but I still am not enjoying it. I don't like this relationship anymore. So it was that person. Maybe maybe that was it. Maybe I had to get a clearer head to be fully honest with myself. Yeah, and, and, and reframing king alcohol, uh, if you thought of it as, I guess, a person, and you were you know, going over your pros and cons of your friends, and you'd have to look at that and go, wow, why am I friends with this guy? You know, I would look <laughs> at all of the things this guy does to me. Holy cow. You know, he left me for freaking dead in a bush. And, um, and it's, it's amazing to me. Uh, you know, I live in Texas and, you know, you're in Southern California. There's a more healthier mindset out there uh, by every measure. And I, I have, I've kind of been like I voted off the island in a way because Nobody wants to be around somebody that doesn't drink. You know, maybe it's because I'm boring. I don't think that. But <laughs> it's it's either a reminder that they kind of know, like, oh, my gosh, here I go again. I'm, you know, opening my third bottle of wine and my, my kids are nowhere to be seen. And there's stupid Jason over there. He just got done jogging. And so it, it's, not a, <laughs> it's not a hostile environment, but it, it's really not welcoming. And, um, you know, I've had, uh, I've gotten over that. I, I've kind of reset it and where, how could I blame them? Because everybody in my life that I met and either grew close with or am still close with, we all entered a social agreement, you know, based on certain things and qualities. And, and I was always the, you know, the big drinker, you know, we're going out with Carter. All right. You could count on me, you know, like the sunrise. 
And um, so once I stopped, you know, I'm the one that broke the, I'm in breach of contract. So they have every right to fire me. And, and it's, it, it's great actually, because it just reminds me that God saved me in Telluride for something. I'm still looking for that, but it wasn't to try and harvest these relationships that really never were based on more than anything other than a synthetic liquid that we'd all meet and drink and have a great time. And so where I've, my default was, okay, just focus on your kids and your family. And, and that has been so rewarding. And, you know, I think my oldest son was probably maybe in seventh grade when I stopped just in time, you know, he had he'd certainly seen me a few times, but, you know, I saved him of an adolescence plagued with memories of dad, you know, well, why is dad, why is his white shirt blood red and he's sleeping on the floor again? Um, <laughs> you know, saving him hundreds of thousands of dollars in therapy down the road. And, and, and the thing is, what I realized is, you know, my kids, they're the ones that don't have that we never entered that contract based on alcohol or this and that. It was, it was we entered this contract because I gave birth. My wife and I created you, and this is the thing that I need to give my very best to. And you know that's the thing about drinking. Even if it's two glasses of wine, scientifically, you're just you're on a different playing field than your children. And so you might think you're giving your best, but you're you're just not. And at some point, people have that realization. And then when they continue doing what they're doing, even though they know, know it's wrong or they're not giving their best, I don't know anybody that could have that realization and not start kind of hating themselves, which can backfire and maybe even lead to, I think I'm just going to drink more than screw it. You know, um, certainly uh, that, that was the case for me. Um, but it was really just focusing on the kids and, and, and developing that relationship and finding so much beauty and magic and joy and just never even, the only time I ever think about drinking is like playing what if scenarios. Like recently I went to New York alone on like a quick business trip. And, you know, I've been to New York before as a drinker and there's no greater place on earth to just get plastered. You know, it's, it's acceptable everywhere. And um, I was like looking around and I was walking by, uh, I think 54th or 52nd, but by the 21 club, which I had been to a few times and, you know, martinied up all day long. And I was walking by and just going, I'm so glad that I'm not in there right now. My God, you know, there was no, oh, I missed that. And then I, you know, went on a jog around the park and, and, and you start realizing it's like, this is kind of what normal people do, you know? You know, you watch episodes of Seinfeld and, you know, they weren't getting drunk every day. You know, Kramer wasn't the wino. I know it's TV, but, you know, it just started kind of showing me like the, the way I thought life was supposed to be and rewarded. It's wrong for me. And um, it's good for me to always look at those moments and, and recognize and, and, and I guess what do you um, compare, like, what would the old me be doing now 
compared to this version of me. And it's kind of fun, you know, plane travel. Oh my God. Um, <laughs> anyway. Yeah, actually you, arriving you your, to your destination and like feeling clear-headed, like you don't need a nap. <laughs> yeah, or, or, or to be escorted off the plane and met by the local <laughs> authorities. Now, not, not that that has ever happened, but I mean, it, it, it could have um, if I didn't, you know, sweet talk my way out of it. But um, yeah, you know, it, it's just, you, you just get to a point where, um, and, and I, I think the other challenge is when you have all this, you know, not only the time back, as you said, you know, if you just start drinking at five, even if it's two glasses, you've kind of veered off course or changed direction and you really can't do anything that's going to lead to something meaningful if that's what you're trying to do. And so when you get all this time back, you know, it's a, it's a struggle to fill that time. And so you really have to almost pretend you're a child again and go outside and start planting stuff. And, uh, you know, yeah, it's, it's, and it could be the thing that sends a lot of people running back to the bar, but it also can be something that is very exciting, if not a little isolating, but I just don't know how else to do it. So. Yeah. I have like nine things I want to touch on from <laughs> what you just said, because there's so much good in there. And the first thing is with friends, I was in such a unique position and I really wonder if what this happened because I was visualizing so much. So this was a time in my life, like I was, I had started Mind Love and I was still drinking and what most of my friends would consider a very healthy way. But I was doing so much reflecting because I, I would write like gratitude in the morning and the evening. And it was like the way that I was actually launching my goals. And I kept visualizing who I wanted to be. And a lot of that visualization and, and writing down all of the specifics and doing all of the mindfulness techniques. I wonder if this is the reason why most of my drinking friends fell away before I stopped drinking. And so there were like two friends that I had had for a long time that were kind of turning toxic. I finally let those go. For some reason, all the new friends I was making didn't drink. And at this point in my life, I was like, man, I just wish I had somebody to go have a wine night with. Like, this is the one reason I miss this past friend. And and so I ended up in a position where most of my friends did not drink and then I moved. And so I didn't have to deal with like, oh, all my friends are going out drinking. Um, yeah, of course I had a couple, but they weren't huge drinkers like I was and my friends were before. And so it was like I did this circle shift beforehand, but I, I really do attribute it to maybe the reason that I was making these subconscious and sometimes conscious decisions was because I got really specific on the person I wanted to be and what my days looked like. And I wasn't including alcohol in my high vibrational like meditation journaling sessions, you know? And so that was one thing. And then the next thing, when what finally got me though, was I obviously didn't drink while I was pregnant. I had a few glasses of wine here and there. Um, but then when I had my son, I remember feeling like, wow, I feel like my relationship with alcohol is naturally solved. I don't crave it right now because it had been so long since I had been drinking regularly. And mind you, before I got pregnant, I was already, um, I think, 60 days sober. Like I had given up drinking to try to do 100 days and then I got pregnant. And then for some reason, the goal didn't feel fun anymore because I was like, no one's going to credit this. It's all about the baby now. Yeah. So <laughs> then I kind of slowly would have like a, half of a drink here and there. And I was like, wow, how nice it is to be unchained from this. And then one day I woke up and realized, 
what a slippery slope. That took like a month and a half, but I am back to wanting a glass of wine every single night. And I'm not being quite as present because I have this glass of wine on this tiny little table and I'm making sure my kid doesn't knock it over and I'm wanting to sit there with the glass of wine and not be on the floor and playing with him. And it's easier to like turn on a show. And I was just like, no. And so it was his six month birthday that was like, I'm not drinking today and I'm never drinking again. <laughs> and that's what that was kind of my my cutoff point. But now I look at it and that same realization you have when you're like jogging in the morning, my morning routine is my favorite time of the day. I wake up at five right now and like do a little yoga and meditate and journal and I light candles. I make it this whole sensory experience and and I go to bed very early in order to like wake up and feel good about this. And so I know I wouldn't be able to go to bed that early if I was having a glass of wine because I don't want one more and then the show wouldn't be over so I'd have one more. But then my <laughs> my glass of wine would be done but the show's not over. Like <laughs> it was like this vicious yeah. cycle and This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. I really need to get something off my chest. Being a mom of a three-year-old boy is really freaking hard, and sometimes it has me questioning my sanity. But then he'll grab my face and call me his sweet little mama. Yes, that's a real thing he says, <laughs> and it will all melt away until I break his banana. I thought I was done with emotionally abusive relationships, but nope. We all carry around stressors, big and small, and when we keep them all bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. For me, just talking things through is hugely helpful, but it's so hard finding friends and family that are unbiased or non-judgmental. And therapy isn't just about dealing with major trauma, you know? It's about learning healthy coping mechanisms, setting boundaries, becoming the best version of yourself. And BetterHelp makes it super convenient, too. Everything's done online so you can fit therapy sessions around your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash MindLove today and get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash MindLove. Uh, like, oh, maybe I'll have one more glass just until yeah. the show's over. You know, yes. it's, uh, it, it, it really is when you, you know, you are doing or we're doing things that were very intentional. And in my mind, even in my 20s, and I, I, I kind of grew up in Southern California, so I've always had a real, I know what healthy looks like. And I, for some reason, it's like a vegan yoga master. That's who is somewhere deep inside of me, but... No, I, mean, I just Texas, gave up veganism because it ruined my gut. So just yeah, drop I, that adjective. No, trust me, <laughs> I don't, I'm not either of those things. <laughs> but in my mind, I'm like, that's, you know, you know, but in, in Texas, you know, for the longest time, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm chewing tobacco and drinking Jim Beam and smoking cigarettes and, and just the polar opposite of what I know is health. And, um, and again, that, I think those things just start grinding away at, at your own belief to do anything. And so, you know, to the point where if you got up and write, wrote down goals, like I'm going to run five miles today or blah, 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 you're, you, you're like, I'm not, no, I, pr I probably won't do that because, you know, I just, I just drank 12 beers last night and, um, and I'm hungover. And so what's the point of even setting goals? And, you know, that's the shame spiral effect 
and I can go, or I used to go really deep into that. And, and, and I think there was a part of me that was using alcohol as an excuse as to why I wasn't like a brain surgeon or, you know, a senator. You know, it's like not going out and telling anybody, oh, I would have been a senator if I didn't drink, but I've always had such bigger ideas for myself. And, um, you know, even when I moved out to L.A. Uh, to write screenplays, um, I was drinking like crazy out there. And I think that subconsciously what I was do, really doing is, okay, yeah, I wrote for two hours a day. Good job. And then, you know, you'd see things like Goodwill Hunting come out and win an Oscar. Um, and these guys, yeah, in my mind, I'm like, I know I could do that, but, you know, I'm, I'm also drinking, having fun and doing all this other stuff. But it, it wasn't like writing for 12 hours a day and then like, you know, camping out at CAA to stalk agents. I mean, that because that's what it takes. And I wasn't willing to give up my fun times. So it was like me having this justification of myself as to why I wasn't winning an Oscar. You know, I mean, it's that's when, you know, alcohol is like ruling every part of your life when you're kind of using it as a chess piece or something uh, to prove why things that you really want to happen aren't happening. Yeah, I had this illusionary belief that, you know, all the creatives drank. And so I could drink a little bit while I was writing some things or or I, w- I could drink a little bit while I came with, with ideas and brainstormed. And it always seemed like it was going to be like this high vibe. You know, if I had a really thin-stemmed wine glass, it would be sophisticated <laughs> and like good for me. But instead, the conclusion I came to is I really do believe that the energy that you create something in will be the energy that it spreads. And so even if you read something by like Hunter S. Thompson, I'm not feeling uplifted by the end. You know, like I'm, I'm entertained, but that's very similar to what the alcohol does. You know, I'm, I'm entertained, but it's kind of a dense energy. And that might be the woo-woo side of me talking. But uh, one thing that I kind of go between now, because I know exactly what you mean about the using it as an excuse of, okay, well, what can I really accomplish? And I think for me... When I first gave up drinking, I was like, okay, well, I got to be super productive. And it ended up being this, I wasn't there yet. Like I needed some sort of step into it. And so I ended up binging too much TV at night instead and just making a crap ton of tea or like mocktails. (laughs) So my habits were kind of the same, but I was at least getting rid of the addictive tendency. And it took me quite a while until I could really use up that time with something more high vibrational. And I had to go back to the original practices that helped me launch my business. And it was like, who do I want to be? What do I want to do? And where I'm at right now is, yes, I'm in another productivity streak because I feel like I need to get stuff done before I have this next baby. And also, I know, like now I'm almost 40. Like I'm not the beginning of my adulthood where I'm like, well, I have all this time in the world. It's like, yes, there's things I still want to accomplish that I don't want to take to my grave, as you call it in your book. And also I want to enjoy my life in the process. And so I downloaded a ukulele learning app and a friend let me borrow a ukulele and I'm playing the ukulele at night and playing the piano again and I'm journaling and I'm like going back to all of my original like vision boarding stuff. And and so I'm trying to make it fun rather than just like, okay, well now this thing's not there. I've got to just go hard and, and you know, be productive and fill the time with all of these work-related things. And so I do think it's important to fill some of that time, at least for my journey, to really enjoy that space that I've created. I think that is so important 
that might be like the headline of the show is, you know, I think that, and I'm, I'm not speaking for anybody else but myself, but I'm sure it's common, is that when you quit, whether it's alcohol or burning down houses or whatever you're doing that's not that's holding you back, we're conditioned to feel like we have to really do something now. Whether, you know, especially because it's so easy, the golden age of creators, you know, it's like, I'll uh, start a show on YouTube, I'll do all this stuff. You know, it's okay to just not do anything except feel how you feel and start figuring out what you really like to do. And and sometimes, you know, that's going to be binge watching, uh, you know, the first season of Breaking Bad. Um, sometimes it's going to be coming up with an idea for a new business. But I think that if you start forcing greatness upon yourself, especially right away, because we all, you know, if you stop drinking, you have like three months of like this manic energy, like, oh my God, you know, it's like you've been asleep for 20 years. And then you realize, oh, wow, I haven't done anything. And then there's a part of me, at least, it was like, well, then I might as well just go back to my cave and, and drink. But it's, I think there's a real uh, flow to life and it's not always a creative energy um, or a positive energy, but you're able to kind of identify it through a clear lens of sobriety and slowly start rebuilding your life. Uh, my favorite things to do right now, uh, I love night gardening, <laughs> a little headlamp on, and you can really see the plants and clip what you're supposed to clip, and it's not 100 degrees out. People think I'm crazy. And also, uh, recently in New York, my daughter and I and wife were walking through the, uh, the Color Museum, and there's this room where you put on headphones and it's like a silent disco. And so we're sitting there and, you know, doing our thing for like five minutes and we left and I go, you know, I feel so energized. I feel so great. I mean, I like dancing and um, I, you know, silent disco right now is like a very big part of my life. Uh, and it's so funny because it's so embarrassing. Like my daughter, she buys in. But my two sons, I mean, God forbid they even knew. Uh, and my <laughs> wife still kind of, you know, gives me a weird look. So sometimes it's like, you know, 1130 at night. And I'm like, oh, I haven't gotten my 20 minutes of disco in. I got to put up my headphones. And I'm like sometimes worried that somebody's like looking in the window of a house or something. And it, it, it's, it's challenging to just be the truest version of yourself because, I don't know, a lot of people are going to reject that and nobody likes to be rejected. I don't care who you are. We're all sensitive at, at some point. And, uh, you know, maybe I need to start like a silent disco club, but I, I've gotten to the point where I just enjoy the benefits of it. I don't care if anybody really sees, not that I go to the gym and start doing it, but it makes me feel good. And, you know, the, the, the scientist part of me is like, it burns just as many calories as jogging. I can tell by my watch. And it's getting me limber, which will help my golf game. And, you know, the ultimate goal is for me to be doing the backspin at my daughter's wedding. So it, it lines up that way as well. And, um, and I, I just don't feel a need to, like, post on social, like, the benefits of Disco. <laughs> um, I, I mean, I, I, I love that there's so many people that are helpful just around the sobriety thing, but it's almost like a, a, it's become kind of, I don't know, I don't like the word toxic, but it's like, does anybody really know? You know, I mean, certainly some people are going to have like a nice little saying and look at me, 
I'm glowing, but you know, we all know that there's a lot more going on behind the scenes in everybody's life. And I think that was something that this is important that, you know, trust is the ultimate commodity. And um, that's what I tried to give in my book. You know, it's not a how to quit drinking. It's not look at me, you know, I'm Tucker Max, I'm crazy. It's more of just a, a guy who's been humbled uh, going through a, a pretty cool little life that was, you know, peaks and valleys. And the, the role of alcohol started playing a bigger and bigger role. And I have a feeling that's the same um, kind of hero's journey that, that everybody is on if, if alcohol happens to be the one co-star. <laughs> yeah, I will say that I've only posted a couple things about like I did my hundred days or whatever, and I actually posted a slideshow of there's this trend going on Instagram where it's got like the teenage dirtbag song and it's like oh, shows you now and then all of a sudden it. it's like all of your crap photos. And I have so many party photos because I was just such a party girl. And people were like, Oh my gosh, you talked about being a party girl on your show, and I could not visualize it until now. These photos are hilarious. But I get so many people that reach out about the alcohol stuff because so many more people than we actually observe have a complicated relationship with it. They might still be ordering and whatever, and but there's a small voice in a lot of people's minds that like, maybe this isn't good for me or how long am I going to keep doing this or or whatever it is. And I am for some reason blessed with a personality that, where I just don't get embarrassed about most things. Like, I don't care what people see anymore. I think it's because I held shame for a really long time and now I refuse to hold any of it. But with stuff like the silent disco stuff or just being crazy, like, one of the biggest benefits I see to that is when I'm out there doing something insane just because it feels good, it can look like from the outside a bunch of people around me giving me a side eye, like, what the hell is she doing? But you give people permission to live into their own authenticity because so many of them are thinking like, ah, gosh, I wish I could just, yeah, she looks stupid out there, but I wish I had the balls to go look stupid with this other thing that means a lot to me or this that I I don't do in public or this way that I hold myself back. And so I love that you do the silent discos and don't care because uh, especially for your kids, even though at this age, they might be like, that is so lame, dad one day that that little trait is going to rub off on them. And so thank you so much for sharing such an in-depth look into your story and how you got here. So for listeners that are interested in finding your book, where's the best place to connect with you and find that? I spend all day on Instagram. I have, that's kind of where I I, I have posting content. And and I'm certainly, I want to be clear, I'm not taking away, I, I content up. I think, like I said, the golden age of creators I just think when it's something very delicate, it seems trivialized in a way. And that's where I put stuff about the book or thoughts and and not yet videos of me doing silent disco uh, could be uh, coming soon. But that's the best place. The book is on Amazon, of course. It's in a few select independent bookstores in and around uh, Texas and Colorado. But I mean, Amazon's the best. I mean, I... I miss the days of Barnes and Noble and going in there and nosing through books. I, I spent many a good hour inside a Barnes and Noble, but they, they're just, they don't exist anymore. There's like three, I think. And so I think my mom's the only one that's like, well, when can I find it at Barnes and Noble? And I'm like, uh, mom, you literally can get it tomorrow uh, by ordering on Amazon. So that's where the best place to find a book.
All the links for this episode will be at mindlove.com slash 252. Your challenge for this week is to reflect on your relationship with alcohol. This is a really passionate topic of mine because one, it's so recent. Two, it took up so much of my life. Three, it was one of the hugest mindset shifts that I've ever had. I explained in the beginning how tied to alcohol I was, how much it was tied to fun and socializing and Sunday afternoon even, or after work relaxation, or doing a puzzle, or watching a show. (laughs) Jeez. It's funny how when you reflect back, when you can actually be honest with yourself because you're not trying to hide anymore, how the habits really come to light, how the real effects are hard to ignore. I made excuses for it for years, as I said, and I still could. And it seems like often when I tell people about giving up alcohol, they like to respond with their own defenses of it, which is just funny because you would never really do that if somebody came up to you and said, yeah, I finally realized I had to give up Coke. It was negatively affecting my life. (laughs) You wouldn't really hear somebody say, Yeah, but the thing about Coke is it's just so good for open and honest conversation and you just don't really get tired on it so you can keep drinking. (laughs) But when you tell people about giving up alcohol so often, it's like you can hear the inside of their mind and you know it's all of their excuses. And I'm not saying all of those people have a problem, but I will say that my first thought when people do come to the defenses of alcohol immediately after me telling them I'm giving it up or I gave it up, I wonder if they're questioning it themselves. Otherwise, why would these excuses be so top of mind? The people I know with really healthy relationships with alcohol, you know, the kind that will have a drink once a week or once a month. When I mention to them that I'm giving up alcohol, most often the response is something like, good for you, that's amazing. (laughs) So just something to think about. Consider your responses when people share. Also consider that people who have recently given up something don't really want to hear all of the reasons why they should bring it back. Just a little pro tip. But I'd love to hear if this is something that you struggle with, what you're going through, if you need a little assistance. I can also share some of my best tips for that first month, which is the hardest. So reach out to me on Instagram at mindlovemelissa. If you found this episode helpful or you know someone who would find it helpful, please consider sharing it. You can share it directly with them by the share button in the top right-hand corner, or you can take a screenshot and share it on Instagram and tag mindlovemelissa and mindlovepodcast. If you'd like to support MindLove, the best way to do that is by joining MindLove Premium at mindlove.com slash premium, where you get a whole backlog of exclusive episodes that will only be available for you if you do join Premium, plus an ad-free listening experience and early release episodes and bonus meditations. Another amazing way to support that's super free is by leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify, which I absolutely love. And finally, you can support one of my amazing sponsors and they're all listed at mindlove.com slash sponsors. And that's all for today. So thanks for giving your mind a little love today and I'll see you next time. Thanks for tuning into your higher frequency with MindLove. Head to mindlove.com for a free gift to keep your vibes up until next week. 